Okay, so uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell on this Monday. Colby, how are you doing today? Carson, I'm, uh, I, I feel like I'm firmly into the point of the summer where there's just not a ton going on, and I'm just really ready for football to go here. It really feels like we're killing time for the next three weeks. We are, and uh, the AP poll came out, which is just, I think, its sole existence, I think, is to get us to kick off. I think that's the only reason we even have it anymore is just to drum up interest in the sport while we're waiting for it to start. But we're going to get into that. We're going to get into some more conference realignment talk and a little bedlam, lack of brotherhood, not on the football field. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And again, we're, gosh, 19 days away from college football season kicking off in our state and for Oklahoma State they begin at home against Missouri State so you want to have all the latest gear for that first Saturday I know it's been a long time since people have made their way to Boone Pickens Stadium I can't wait to see a packed BPS once again so stop by Chris's get geared up for your college football Saturday Colby mentioned it the AP poll is out Oklahoma State is not listed on the AP poll they were 26 they were the school getting the most votes that was not included in the top 25. So Alabama is your number one team. Oklahoma is second. And uh, just first, Colby, what's your thoughts on, on OSU not being ranked? Uh, my thoughts are on a neutral field, they beat Arizona State, who's 25. They beat Utah, who's 24. They beat Lafayette, who's 23. They beat Coastal Carolina, who's 22. They beat Texas, who's 21. They beat Washington, who's 20. They beat uh, Penn State, who's 19. They beat Iowa, who's 18. They beat Indiana, who's 17. And then we start to have a conversation. That's my first thought. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm kind of surprised they weren't ranked. I thought it was encouraging that the coaches ranked them 22nd. But I think even in the moment I said that I thought they'd be lower in the media poll just because I think coaches certainly recognize the program Mike Gundy's built. But I think a lot of the media has certain inherent regional biases, and they just probably look at Oklahoma State's record the last year or two and just say, you know what, I don't think they're that good this year. I'm not going to rank them. So that, I guess that's the reasoning, but let's just face it, Colby, like three, four weeks into the season, OSU is going to be ranked and they're going to be ranked most of the season. So I just, I don't understand how you could rank, you know, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, Lafayette, Utah, Arizona State. Like what have Utah and Arizona State done to deserve that? I don't, I don't know, but Penn State had a losing record last year. I, I guess they're still Penn State, but I don't know. It, to me, it just, it shines a light again on the lack of national respect that Oklahoma State gets because, and look, they haven't been winning 10 games the last two years. I, I fully understand that. But just go back to last year. They were ranked a majority of the season and with good reason. I mean, they're, they're a quality program, and I would trust them far more than a lot of the teams that are ahead of them. Yeah, and my, the big problem that I have is now subsequent polls will be based on this first poll. That's the problem. That's the problem with these preseason polls. We shouldn't have any polls in college football until at least October 1st. I would argue that we shouldn't have any polls in college football until November 1st, but everyone's heads would explode because we need to know where everybody ranks. So October 1st, I would settle for. But having them on, what is today, August 16th? Having them on August 16th makes no sense because we don't know about a ton of these teams, and now Oklahoma State will be punished 
early on in the season in rankings and maybe even throughout the season because it's like, well, if they're unranked, but then they start 2-0, and okay, we can bump them up to 22. Okay, they're 4-0. and Okay, we can bump them up to 17. Okay, they're 6-0. and Okay, let's bump them up to 11. Whereas if you just started everyone from a neutral ground and then on October 1st, we ranked everybody. And at this point on October 1st, Iowa has a loss. Maybe Washington has a loss. Lafayette, Utah, Arizona State, they all have a loss. And Oklahoma State's undefeated. Now maybe Oklahoma State debuts in the first poll of the season at like 17 instead of at 26. And it makes a big difference in terms of public perception. It's one of the major flaws of college football is that we get these preseason polls. And then it's like we're prisoners to these preseason polls. And in order to jump up, you have to continually do things that are better than those teams ahead of you. And and that's probably not even the right way to phrase it, but I think everybody kind of knows what I mean. We're prisoners to the original polls, even once we have new evidence that contradicts them. So the preseason polls just uh, as much as just about anything, they kind of drive me crazy. Well, and, it, it, and Mike Gundy made that point last week that they shouldn't have a poll until October 1st, which is what you're saying, and I, I totally agree with it. And it, it hurts Oklahoma State's, you know, everything's about TV ratings right now. You know, some casual fan flipping over to Oklahoma State and Boise State this year, if OSU's got a, a 20 next to their name, they're more likely to stick around. Oh, wow, this is a top 20 team playing. I better watch this. They're playing Boise State, who I've, I'm aware of. It just, it, it hurts them, and it's, it's, it's such a silly thing to hurt them when it's all just perception none of it's really based on reality and I I really have a problem once again Colby Texas is 21st and I against my better judgment I retweeted a Twitter clip today from CBS Sports and they all three of their panelists one of them was Danny Cannell said that Texas is underrated at 21st because because look at all that talent I mean they have so much talent on this team I heard talent about 27 times in the two-minute clip and Again, Texas is, let me pull, I pull up the record here, of Texas in the Big 12 over the last decade. Texas is 52 and 45 in Big 12 games over the past 10 years. Where's the talent? They have two second round draft picks in the past six years. No first round picks. They're all worse than third round or worse than second round picks. So where, where is all this perceived talent? I keep hearing about it, Texas. They, they haven't had a, a game-breaking wide receiver in eons. They've had one great season of Devontae Freeman at running back. Other than that, they've had nothing over the past decade. They've had spotty quarterback play at best. And their defense has been lackluster. No draft picks in the first round. I mean, the NFL draft doesn't lie. And if you want to say it's coaching and development, whatever. I, I'm not buying that because the NFL can overlook a guy who wasn't coached up well if he has NFL skills and NFL talent. And they just don't. So – I'm so tired of hearing about how talented Texas is when their record indicates they don't and NFL draft indicates they don't have talent either. Yeah, no doubt about it. Deontay Foreman, Devontae Freeman, Deontay Foreman, very easy to get mixed up. Oh my God, I'm an old man. I just said the wrong name. The Texas Longhorns legend, Deontay Foreman. It's, uh, (laughs) you know, the most talented player on Texas team has been the last decade, Carson. It's been that tiny little logo on the side of the helmet. It just keeps showing up Saturday after Saturday in the offseason is when it's especially great. That logo on the side of that Texas helmet is especially powerful during the months uh, between January 
uh, about, let's say, January 5th and September 1st, that logo on the side of the helmet is incredibly powerful for Texas. And we see it once again. I've made my thoughts on Texas known. I think they're the fifth best team in the Big 12 coming in. I think they're behind, uh, obviously, OU and Iowa State. And then I think they're also behind Oklahoma State and TCU. I think Texas will finish the season as the fifth best team in the conference. And I think everybody will sit there at the end of the season and go, wow, they were so close. Look at these three games that they lost by less than a touchdown. And then next August, we'll sit here and we'll say, how is Texas ranked 17th in the preseason? And we'll do it all over again. It's a never-ending cycle, Carson. It is the circle of college football life. Groundhog Day. That's what I called it. It's just, it's, we just don't learn. I guess we, I say we, the national media just doesn't learn. And then again, I, all the talk about Texas going to the SEC, they, everyone keeps calling it a great football program. Well, if you just go over the last 50, 60 years, Texas has not been a great football program. They had a great run under Mac Brown for about a decade. And past that, they've been pretty mediocre. You got to go back to like the 70s or even way earlier than that for Texas to be some great dominant football program. They just haven't been. That's the that's the totally misleading thing about Texas football is that they're this Alabama or Oklahoma and they're just not. They've had they've been very mediocre especially when you consider their resources and that brand you you mentioned on the side of the helmet. I mean, Let's go back through here. So the 80s, they were pretty pretty forgetful. They had one in the in the entire 80s, they had one, two, two seasons of double-digit wins, one nine-win season. So pretty mediocre by Texas standards. The 90s, they were pretty bad. They had one 10-win season throughout, or sorry, one, two, two double-digit win seasons in the entire 90s. So the 80s and 90s. They weren't even on the same level as Oklahoma, let alone everyone else in the country. So I just, it's not a, it's a recent thing that they've been as bad as they've been where they, you know, they're, they're barely over 500 in league play, but they haven't just been some dominant national program really since World War II. I mean, that's, that's just the fact. So I get, I get tired of, I get tired of hearing that. I guess Daryl Royal in the, in the sixties had it rolling, but that's a long, long, long time ago. So yeah, I'm just so tired of hearing about it. The national media's perception of Texas reminds me of the movie, uh, was it 50 First Dates, where the girl wakes up every day and she can't remember anything that's happened past that day. <laughs> the national media wakes up every August and they can't remember anything that happened past about 1965. And they're like, Texas, hook them horns, baby. Also, if Vince Young isn't one of the single greatest college football players of all time, does Texas get talked about the way they get talked about? Because Vince Young single-handedly I shouldn't say single-handedly. I mean, they had a good team. You don't win a national championship off one guy. But Vince Young was one of the greatest college football players ever, certainly one of the best I've ever seen with my own two eyes. If he doesn't win them a national championship, maybe they're not still living on this reputation. I don't know. But either way, it just it's just gotten old. You know, it's not like maddening. It's not annoying. It's just gotten old. It's just tired. It's played out. But we'll do it again next August just for fun. College football traditions. Listen to this. In 1983, Fred Akers went – 11 and one from 1983 all the way until Mac Brown went 11 and one in 2004, they lost two or more games. And many times they lost, you know, four five, six from 83 to 2004. That's like the modern era of football. We're talking here. Like this is not a new thing, but yet here we are. They have a new coach. They have no, skill talent other than B. John Robinson to speak of. They have a defense that gets lit up every year. And we're just supposed to say, oh, well, they got talent. Well, that's just not true. So I've said my piece on Texas. Anything else stick out to you on the uh, the top 25 poll? 
Uh, no, not really. I mean, Alabama won. We expected Oklahoma did get two first place votes out of 65, which honestly feels about right. Alabama's the Kings until they get dethroned. But I mean, look, college football is what college football is. I've, I can say it until I'm blue in the face. It's not designed for parody. Shocker. The top four teams in the preseason eight people are Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Ohio state. It's just, it is what it is. It's uh, it's the club. If you're in the club, good for you. If you're not, enjoy uh, battling it out for a trip to the Alamo Bowl. Yeah. Oklahoma got six first place votes. Clemson got six. Alabama got 47. Ohio State got one. Georgia got three. Yeah, I must be looking at the wrong thing here. I'm showing two for OU. Yeah, they got six. It's a little more evenly spread. But I did think it's interesting. Iowa State is seventh. That's their highest AP poll rank ever. And lo and behold, it's a preseason poll. Uh, so that's interesting. Cincinnati's eight. I want to talk about Cincinnati uh, as we transition to conference realignment. But past that, it just kind of shows you where the Big 12s perceived. Because I do think TCU is a borderline top 25 team. They also receive votes behind Ole Miss and Oklahoma State. And then no other Big 12 schools got uh, – West Virginia got three votes. So not a not a banner year from the Big 12, at least in the, the AP top 25. But – Iowa State, Colby, they're they're kind of carrying the banner besides Oklahoma for the Big Twelve. You you yeah. like them this year? Uh, boy, if they can beat Iowa, I, I don't. They've got. <laughs> I mean, it it shouldn't be that big of an issue. I mean, Iowa's not some sort of juggernaut, but Iowa State, I guess, has the the little brother thing going on with Iowa where they can't get around them. So, assuming they can beat Iowa, uh, yes, I think Iowa State will be fine this year. And then the two big games, really the three big games for Iowa State are going to be Oklahoma, uh, Texas, and Oklahoma State. I mean, those are going to be big games for Iowa State. And I'd say of those three, and actually let's throw TCU in there, four games, OSU, Texas, uh, Oklahoma, and TCU. Iowa State needs to win three of the four. If they upset Oklahoma, they can afford to lose to one of the other teams. If they don't upset Oklahoma, they now need to beat all three of those other teams, uh, which they'll have a good chance to do because they've got great talent. And Matt Campbell is a heck of a head coach. He's done a great job in Iowa State. I saw a chart earlier about uh, schools in the Big 12 that land the highest percentage of official visitors that come to campus, and Iowa State lands the highest percentage of official visitors who actually come to campus. Oklahoma State was actually 10th out of 10 in the Big 12, just behind Kansas in terms of landing official visitors. Now, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? I, I don't really know. Some guys are official visits. Some aren't. COVID totally threw everything for a loop but I thought that was interesting and Matt Campbell's really got it rolling so uh Iowa State I do think will be a really good football team this year I do too I guess if you go all the way to Ames you're like I might as well commit right I I came this far (laughs) it's one of those deals I guess so yeah uh one last thing Miami ranked 14th and Oklahoma State of course beat them in the bowl game I guess that doesn't matter to, to people. People try and tell me the bowl games matter, but uh, if you think Miami's the 14th best team in the country, how can you not put Oklahoma State in the top 25? That just, that makes no sense to me. But Colby, as, as news is wont to do, it usually happens right after we're done recording. And on Friday afternoon, it came out from uh, Max Olson of The Athletic reported that the Big 10, the ACC, and the Pac-12 are reportedly working on an alliance whatever that means, whether it's a scheduling alliance, banning together to try and tip the scales away from the SEC. And he reported that the Big 12 was not in those discussions. And he reported that none of those conferences want any of the remaining Big 12 teams and say they have nothing to offer. So I look, it's it's one report of many to come, Colby. But to me, this is a doomsday type scenario for Oklahoma State. 
Yeah, absolutely it would. And the, and the problem is we are likely heading toward a better overall brand of college football where we have more conferences scheduling uh, non-conference games with some of its better teams, and we actually get a better brand of college football. But the idea was not to sacrifice Oklahoma State in the process. The idea was for Oklahoma State to be a part of this better brand of college football that we might find ourselves in here in a few years. I still, does this alliance come to fruition? I don't know. It's still, there's so much to be determined with all this. It, It still just seems so weird to me that all of these big 12 schools, some of them I don't think have anything to offer, but I don't know. I mean, Kansas has something to offer with basketball. Oklahoma State has something to offer kind of across the board. Uh, I mean, good football program, good basketball program, top of the line facilities. It, it just still seems odd to me that we would live in a world where those schools would have to drop down to the group of five level and essentially be uh, a Cincinnati, a Memphis, a UCF. It just, I don't know. I, I still don't know that I totally think that that's going to happen, but it's certainly a possibility. And uh, if it does happen, then Whew, that's that's really bad news. Really, really bad news. I saw, I don't know if it was, I think it was in a reply to you on Twitter where one Oklahoma State fan said that they'd rather go be the king of the mid-majors than <laughs> go to one of these other conferences and win seven or eight games. And I'm like, man, that uh, that does not intrigue me at all. Oklahoma State, you know, having to take down Memphis as a 13-and-a-half point favorite to win the American Athletic Conference and get into whatever that gets you into, I that just doesn't really do a lot for me, Carson. Well, it doesn't do a lot for you as a fan. And it, it certainly doesn't do a lot for Oklahoma State financially, because let's face yeah. it. I mean, they're, they're going to take a $20 million per year haircut with this thing. Once the Big 12, once OU and Texas are officially off to the SEC, it's, it's a financial deal. And this is a, this is a huge issue for Oklahoma State financially. And I just, I don't know, I guess the Big Ten's reasoning for doing this, because let's face it, they make more money in the SEC right now. What, what would be their incentive to include the ACC or even the Pac-12 into their, you know, their big money pie that they have? Do they want to share that pie? I doubt it. Um, now, maybe they, they look at it to where the SEC is going to have the best games every single week with this new conference they're going to have. And maybe they think, hey, if we add USC and Oregon and, and Washington and some of those more marquee teams in the Pac-12. Maybe that helps us get more marquee games up against the SEC. That I'm that I'm a little curious about why the Big Ten would want to do this because they've got it rolling, they've got their own network. I don't see the incentive for them short of, you know, if you're the Big Ten, Colby, why wouldn't you just say, you know what, why are we doing an alliance deal? We're just going to do what the SEC did. We're going to take USC and Oregon and uh, move on down the road and see you later. We're just going to take your two you know, number one, you know, TV rating teams and, and move on down the road. I don't, I don't see it from the Big Ten's perspective at all. Yeah, I don't either. It it doesn't make a ton of sense to me to do the full-on alliance. Just scheduling together, okay. I mean, if we're just going to schedule a couple games. But, again, why wouldn't it just be your best teams? Why would the Big 12 want – not the Big 12. Why would the Big 10 want something that involves Washington State going to Rutgers? I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it does a lot unless they think that it's their only answer to what the SEC is doing is to pair up with these other conferences. Uh, Maybe it makes sense in some aspects, but I would think that the Big Ten would have more interest in just poaching two or four schools that they think really strengthens their conference to make it comparable to the SEC. I don't know. That seems to me like it adds more value, but I don't know. Maybe if you can get a perfect scenario where all three conferences schedule together and then the Big 12 totally gets left out and these four conferences uh, at some point have autonomy. I don't know. Maybe that's what they're headed toward, but 
Uh, I sure hope not, man. I'd, I, I still I still would like to see Oklahoma State in the Pac-12. Big Ten, okay, maybe, maybe not. I still would like to see Oklahoma State in the Pac-12. That might not happen either, but here's my next question, Carson, because geographically, it is a little bit weird for Oklahoma State, just being right in the middle. I mean, geographically, do you fit in the Big Ten? Not really. You'd be kind of far south. Uh, do, geographically, do you fit in the Pac-12? Not really. Do you fit in the ACC? Not really. But if those three conferences come together and form some sort of alliance, I don't know. Do we uh, condense conferences and maybe Oklahoma State's like the team in the middle that some of these schools travel to and then Oklahoma State travels to the coast? I, I really have no idea how it's all going to play out. I, I'll say this. Don't jump the gun and overreact and freak out to something you read in August of 2021 because the decisions on everything that's going to happen are far from over and they'll follow the money. So wherever the money goes, that's where this thing's going to end up. Yeah, and to me, it's really discouraging that this comes like a week after Bob Bowlesby met with the Pac-12 commissioner. It's like, hey, Bob, nice to meet you. I'm going to go take a meeting with the other three and you're out. You're not invited. That to me is a very worrisome sign for, for Bob Bowlesby and, and the remaining schools in the Big 12. And I would like to see them go to the Pac-12 as well. I, the Big 10 for me is still the number one choice, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with that happening. But my biggest concern now moving forward and the more I've kind of read about it and, and learned about it is, you know, the PAC 12 is going to do what USC wants to do. They're the, they're the Texas of the PAC 12. And if you're USC and they're saying, Hey, USC, we want to add Oklahoma state and Texas tech, get the, get the central time zone involved. And, and they're going to be with the mountain t- time zone and USC is going to be like, okay, cool. Are we getting more money? And they're like, no, actually, no, it lessens by, they hang up the phone. Like USC is not going to, go for that and they're calling the shots so that that to me I don't think USC wants to add teams from Texas and, and Oklahoma State that that's my number one concern and I just to me Colby right now it seems like the other three conferences are going to do what's best for them and perhaps pair together to fight the SEC they're not going to pillage what's left of the Big 12 and that that to me is the nightmare scenario that I mentioned but let me just pose it to you this way Colby if if this is kind of what occurs or comes to be what do you do if you're the Big 12? What do you do if you're Bob Bowlesby and, and the, the decision makers at Oklahoma State? What, what do you think is the best thing for them to do? Well, I mean, if that happens, then your conference is no longer on the same level as the other conferences. And at this point, um, and again, I'm, I'm certainly not advocating this is what I want to happen. But at that point, you probably merge with the American and uh, you become the, the conference that is the best of the rest if you will, you'll have the four conferences and then you'll have the best of the rest and the best of the rest will all be lumped in Oklahoma state, Kansas, Iowa state, Kansas state, Baylor, TCU, Texas tech, uh, West Virginia, Houston, Memphis, Cincinnati, UCF. Um, I mean, you're just, it's the best of the rest. Now the best of the rest probably doesn't get you into a playoff. Uh, that's another good question. If Oklahoma state and the big 12 wind up having to merge with the American and we go to a 12 team playoff, does that conference champ get in? That would be, yeah, I'd be really curious to see how that would all work out because I don't know, in that point, maybe if you're Oklahoma state and you win that conference, you get a college football playoff win one of these years and you, you draw a big upset. And then the next time things get shaken up, you get included. I don't know. It's a mess, Carson. It's a disaster. <laughs> Excuse me. I just choked thinking of adding schools from the American to the big 12. It's a hard pill to swallow, but I mean, let's face facts. And I had this discussion on Twitter when this story came out is you can't stay at eight. 
like you literally cannot stay at eight. Now, maybe you could stay at eight and just beef up your non-conference. Maybe that would be the argument for the eight schools to remain intact and not add anybody. But for me, Colby, if this comes about, you've got to bite the bullet and it's time for the Big 12 to act and to add schools that will actually help the football product. And for me, that's Cincinnati with a bullet, first and foremost. I would have added Cincinnati and Louisville last time around. Cincinnati is ranked eighth in the, in the poll, and I know that's based on having Luke Fickle. He's kind of a Matt Campbell-type figure there. But Cincinnati was good before Luke Fickle was there, back when they had Brian Kelly. They've hired really good coaches. They've got a, a good stadium, a Big 12-caliber stadium. And I just think they're the most viable candidate for expansion. I think you go get Cincinnati first and foremost. They're a great basketball school as well. That helps with other sports. But let's face it, it's all about football. You go add Boise State. Boise State is a TV generator. They've been on TV for a long time. People see the blue, the Smurf turf, they watch. Boise State's a good football program. I know it doesn't fit geographically, but at this point, you're trying to pick the best of a bad bunch. And I think Boise State and Cincinnati, that gets you to 10. From there, I'm all ears, but I would absolutely try to get BYU. I know they bring a lot of headaches. I know about the, the Mormon things, a, a tough deal. They don't play on Sundays. I get all that. It's about football. You worry about the rest later. BYU is a football independent. They might not want to give up. And that, that to me, I don't know if BYU even would want to do that. They probably would not. But that's who I would go after as well. And the fourth school, I've been against UCF from the beginning. Look, I know they have 55,000 students. I know you could, you could make the excuse you can get into Florida for recruiting. I just don't see them as a fit. I think that they're more of a fit for the ACC should they expand. Uh, so I, I know I'm forgetting someone here, but if I, if I don't get UCF, oh, who? I, I, oh, I, Houston. It's Houston for me. Yeah, okay. I, I was wondering, so you said Cincinnati, Memphis, BYU, UCF, right? I was going to say UCF, but I like Houston better. You like Houston better? I'd see – Oh, that's tough. That's tough. UCF gets you some TVs in Florida, which I think could be good. Could be do they? Table. I mean, not more than Florida State or Florida uh, or Miami, but yeah, I think that they do get you some. Mm. I don't know. I just I look at Houston, and you know they're they've they've come a long way in football. They've built a brand new basketball arena. They're kind of a they're to me they're they're Baylor light. And they really should have gotten in the conference over Baylor the first time around if the governor didn't happen to be a Baylor alum. Baylor wouldn't even be in the Big 12 as we speak. But I just think they're a better fit for the conference than, than a UCF. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. Honestly, I BYU I don't think would happen. I, I think BYU yeah, is probably right. going on. So then I think it would probably end up being Cincinnati, Memphis, UCF, and Houston. I don't think you'd have to choose between UCF and Houston. I think you'd need them both because I don't think BYU is coming. No, and I, I'm good with that. I mean, UCF just just plucked away um, uh, Gus Malzahn. I say plucked away. He was out of a job. But, you know, they made a big hire in, in Gus Malzahn. Uh, good football program, up-and-coming team as well. And look, do I want to do this? No, I absolutely do not. But I think you have to. If, if we get to OU in Texas out of the Big 12 and you're looking around, you got eight teams, I mean, what else are you going to do? I mean, at that point, if you're the Big 12, you're worried about – the American stealing Oklahoma state and Iowa state, Texas tech, you know, the best of the remaining schools. If So if you're the big 12, I think you got to be proactive, which we, you and I've talked about for so long that they haven't been, but I just, for people that say, no, that would be terrible. I mean, you can make more money doing that than you could with eight teams. That's there's no doubt about that. I, I don't love that option, but 
Um, if it's your only option, it's your only option. Now, if you're Oklahoma State, are you still making calls daily to the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and the ACC? Yeah, you're still trying to see anything that you can do. USC makes the decisions. Call the folks at USC. Bribe them. Make an under-the-table deal. Let's play dirty. Who cares? Just <laughs> figure out a way to make it happen. Boone, how much money did you leave us in the trust? We'll give it to USC if you'll let us in the Pac-12, and then we'll make all that money back in the first three years in the conference. You got to uh, do whatever you got to do to get into one of these other conferences. If not, then your backup plan is to add these other schools. That's not plan A. That's not plan B. That's not plan C. That's plan D, E, or F is to add these other schools. But once all those other plans fail, um, you got to do something. You can't just sit around and just hope something falls in your lap. Well, and that's, <clears throat> that's the good thing, I think, and why I think these schools are banding together right now, because you're still going to get the $38 million bucks for the rest of the grant of rights for Oklahoma and Texas. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm having trouble not choking down the, down the AAC teams. So I think that's why they're going to have patience, because they're still going to get big money for the next three, four years, as long as OU and Texas are in the league barring them trying to do a, a, an expedited payout or buyout. But that, that's my negative side of this story. My positive side, Colby, is I just, when the dust settles, and I think with, with these conferences all shifting and changing, and I think we are heading to a totally restructured college football, which you mentioned. I cannot envision a scenario in which Oklahoma State, who was 28th in the country in attendance, who's top 10 in the country and wins over the last decade and the last five years. I can't see them just sitting over on the sideline while Rutgers is in the big 10 or Vanderbilt is in the sec or Maryland is in the big 10 or Illinois who, who hasn't had a pulse seemingly forever is in the, like this is going to be about good football, football. People want to watch on television. I just, I can't envision a scenario of a restructured college football where Oklahoma State, especially if they get away from Oklahoma, is not included. So how that happens, I'm not sure. Maybe the restructuring is when conferences get a chance to say, you know what, Vanderbilt, you're out. You know what, Rutgers, we have buyer's remorse on including you in the Big Ten. You're out. So that, that's where my optimism lies, Colby. I just cannot envision a scenario which Oklahoma State is playing non-Power 5 football once everything's settled. I mean, I, I totally agree. Rutgers, Vanderbilt, some of these other schools uh, that have historically struggled. But – Carson, some of it, and this is sometimes the way things are in life. Sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. Sometimes you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oklahoma State might just be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and there, there might not be any way around it. And that, that's going to be a hard reality to accept if that's the case. If it seriously just comes down to, you know, Rutgers was in the right place at the right time. Oklahoma State was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So now Rutgers gets to play in the Big Ten and pocket $60 million a year. And Oklahoma State has to play in the American and pocket $9 million a year. That will be a hard pill to swallow. It will be a tough reality to accept. But, you know, life's not fair. Sometimes things break out that way. Um, I, I don't know. I'm still just as fascinated as I was to see how it all plays out the, the day that it happened, whenever it was announced OU and Texas were leaving. And uh, tell you the truth, I, I don't think anything's much more clear today than it was on the first day that things were announced. We've, we've still got a lot of mess to sift through to figure out where we wind up. Speaking of messes, the relationship between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma is messy. And Barry Trammell wrote a very interesting column on the Bedlam Brotherhood, or lack thereof. And to me, this is a lot of, uh, what do you call it? This is a lot of uh, CYA by the University of Oklahoma. Uh, there's some sources here 
he uses from OU that say, and this is about kind of the dealings of business. And he said the OU source said that OU was blindsided in March 2019 when a $270 million settlement between the state and Purdue Pharma was reached uh, with $197 million of that settlement earmarked to establish an endowment at OSU's Tulsa-based medical center for the Center for Wellness and Recovery, which was headed up by none other than Dr. President Shrum at the time. The source says, quote, OU was not alerted to that. We were left standing on the sideline. If reciprocity is expected, where was it then? But wait, there's more. The Baker Hughes building, which is a $90 million price tag on it, it was built five years ago. It's just off 235, close to downtown. Uh, that apparently was donated. Let's see here. It was a news release donation. It was a game changer for OSU in the state of Oklahoma. And it basically is going basically to the to Oklahoma State University. I, I lost my place on the article, but $90 million building going to Oklahoma State. They're going to move their aerospace uh, uh, technology and, and things of that nature in terms of research and education to that building. And Oklahoma was left on the sidelines about that. So that there was some hard feelings already, Colby, with Oklahoma State and Oklahoma and President Trump was a part of some of these dealings. Now, OU and, go, OU and Texas going to the SEC happened way before President Trump was the president. This, this dates back to all the way when President Hargis was there. So you can't just blame it on the president relationships here between Joe Harris and, and Dr. Casey Trump. But it does appear that Oklahoma already had their, their uh, feathers ruffled as a university by OSU. Yeah, I don't know. This feels like uh, this feels I don't know. Yeah, is there going to be some animosity? Sure. But this feels like OU trying to be like, uh, hey, look, look here. You've done us wrong. So it's OK that we're doing you wrong. Look, what, what's wrong with just saying we as the University of Oklahoma did what's best for us? End of statement. It's over. It's what they did. They went to the SEC. It's what's best for them. Is it necessary to now come out and try to throw dirt on Oklahoma State and say, well, look at these buildings that you got donated? I don't know. It feels very apples and oranges, uh, apples to oranges to me. You're talking about a, a one-time donation as opposed to, uh, you know, the survival of your athletic department as you know it, it for, for the long-term future. I don't know. It feels uh, very apples to oranges to me. It does. And and I don't, again, I don't follow endowments of buildings in my, in my job, but you got to think Colby, this has been going on for 50 years in the state of Oklahoma in terms of endowments, in terms of each school getting their own separate, you know, enterprises going with, with business relationships of things of that nature. That, that to me does not appear to be a new thing. And to blame jumping football conferences on, dealings like this to me it does scream apples and oranges to me it screams like like what you said like well well they did this that's why we did this and so i i don't know it's a it's a very complicated issue and i i understand why you did it and i i understand them saying we didn't have to include oklahoma state on these talks because oklahoma state would have made it messy like a&m did that's why they kept it away from a&m as well so i i don't know i just thought that was an interesting uh, column by barry yeah, it definitely was. It's uh, like you said, endowments come, endowments go. Some schools get some, some schools get the other. It, there are no parallels between that and Oklahoma going to the SEC without talking to Oklahoma State. Again, stop trying to make excuses. Stop trying to justify it. You, you did what's best for your own university. I mean, I, I personally, I'm not mad at OU. It's, it's the way they're handling it to me is much more annoying than the decision 
that they made. It's like they're trying to do this PR spin to make themselves the good guys. Why do you have to be the good guys or the bad guys? You do what you thought was best for you. Okay, everybody else is now left to pick up the pieces. It's you did what was best for you. Now just accept the fact that some people are going to be upset, but it's not like it's going to hurt your pocketbook any. It's not like it's going to hurt your football program any. You're still going to the SEC. You're still going to make money hand over fist. All these other schools are still left to fend for themselves. I don't understand the need to now try to spin this to you being the good guys. It's just go to the SEC, make your money. It's fine. It is what it is. Indeed. Sorry, I'm reading up. Barry just Barry's getting a lot of love on the show today. He just wrote another article about what we just talked about with the alliances. Uh, let's see here. Uh, he says, under this scenario, the Big 12 would be concerned or would be cornered out of scheduling by an ACC alliance. He says, okay, then take advantage by going all in on SEC scheduling. Kansas State, Tennessee. This would enhance the Big 12's television package. So maybe maybe that's it, Cole. Maybe with eight, maybe just trudge along with eight teams and just work out work out a deal with the SEC. Say, hey, we'll play you in non-conference uh, four times a year. Maybe that's maybe that's the solution. I hadn't even thought about that. It would have to be several times a year because another problem with having eight teams. I mean, what? We're, so we're playing seven conference games every year. Are we having a conference championship game after playing <laughs> seven conference games? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's just that whole scenario would be. Uh, really weird. And then you get to basketball season. I mean, is everybody playing everybody three times? We're going to have a 21 <laughs> conference schedule, play everybody three times, and then go play a conference tournament? I don't know. It's just, it doesn't work with eight, Carson. It just doesn't work with eight. No, it doesn't. So that's our, our weekly segment on conference realignment. It gets more depressing by the day, but I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic to go issue lands on their feet. And again, I don't think any of this is getting sorted out anytime soon. So we're going to have to wait a while before the dust settles. Uh, let's talk a little football. You know, Oklahoma State's been going through fall camp, and Dominic Richardson spoke to the media this week, and I, I ran a soundbite of his on on Channel Five. If, if people were able to check that out, and Colby, it was it was kind of jarring to see Do Dominic Richardson was sitting there talking to the media, and he he was wearing a, a tank top, and he's clearly been working out with Rob Glass because his arms were were just jacked. But apparently he's getting a lot of love in, in fall camp. And we all know he, he exploded against Baylor with 169 yards and three touchdowns. But just, I don't know. I, Colby, there's a chance I think he might end up being not quote unquote the guy. I still think it's going to be a committee. But I think he might be kind of one of the breakout players this year for OSU. I really do. I'm like, <laughs> I'm teetering between Dominic Richardson's going to get 12 carries a game and well, Dominic Richardson is going to be the odd man out because there's only one football and there's four running backs. <laughs> and I don't know which way it's going to go because, you know, we see this stuff all the time in college football. Guy gets a lot of fall camp hype. Guy who's a little bit further down the depth chart is, oh, this is the guy that could break through. And then what happens? It just the opportunities aren't there. And whenever you have limited opportunities and your playing time isn't consistent, it's a lot harder to get into a rhythm. So then maybe if you only get four touches a game, you don't do as much with them because you don't have as much game flow and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm really stuck between Dominic Richardson could be an impact uh, player on the offense and eh, Dominic Richardson's kind of going to get left out because the problem that I see in Oklahoma state's running back room is you've got LD Brown, Desmond Jackson, Jalen Warren, Dominic Richardson, and that's four guys. There's, there's not enough carries to go around, and you've got a quarterback who's probably going to take off and run eight to ten times a game. 
there, there's not enough plays in a football game for all of these guys to touch the ball as often as they should. So I, I don't know. Somebody's going to be the odd man out. And I think the two most likely candidates are either Jalen Warren or Dominic Richardson. But then one of those guys could also pop and could have a couple games where, uh, you know, if somebody goes down, they have 18 carries for 140 yards and two touchdowns or something ridiculous. So uh, Oklahoma State's running back room, I think, is quite the puzzle and the mystery right now. It's a good problem to have. I mean, I, again, you play so many games, and we've seen year after year after year running backs get knocks throughout the season. So I think the depth is – I think the depth and just the wear and tear I think is going to determine a lot by the end of the year who's, who's getting the most carries. But I'm, I'm bullish on on Dominic Richardson. I'm, I'm buying a lot of stock. I think he might end up being kind of the breakout guy behind probably L.D. Brown. So I'm, I'm really excited about him. Uh, one more uh, thing to bring up to you. Colby, on, on pistols firing, they had a link to uh, the, the story from the Oklahomans, Jacob Unruh, on the NIL. I had no idea this was even a thing, but, you know, Tom Hutton is from Australia. The NIL does not apply to players who are on who are from other countries who are on visas due to federal law. Uh, it says student-athletes in America on student visas are not eligible because of federal law, which he says is a huge gap in the system and a major oversight of NIL legislation. So our man, Tom Hutton, can't be doing, you know, the, what was Australian for beer? What was that commercial? I have no idea. I want no. to say O'Doul's. That's a non-alcoholic. Uh, I'm Googling Australian for beer. This is great radio. Nice. Awesome. Foster's. He can't Foster. do Foster's commercials. Foster's, Australian for beer. I mean, this is a, Again, Colby just shows you the lack of, of oversight by the NCAA. They, they tried to do the NIL, and they can't even get this right. Yeah, and by the way, before somebody tweets us and says, well, none of them can do beer because they're not allowed to do beer. Yeah, we know. We're making a joke about Australian beer. Um, yeah. don't, don't tweet us that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, talk about an oversight. I mean, 84 players can go do NIL. Oh, nope, sorry. You're from Australia. You're here on a student visa. None for you. No NIL for you. What an oversight. Just – and. Honestly, did we expect them to get it right? Surely we didn't. I didn't expect them to get it right. I expect that whenever they tweak it to try to get it right, there'll still be things wrong with it because that is how the NCAA rolls. Yep. Uh, the kicker, Alex Hale, also from Australia. They could have done like a joint commercial for something, not not Foster's beer using yeah. the uh, Aussie accents. So just another thing the NCAA has gotten wrong. So hopefully they can amend that to or work work around that so the international players can, can profit as well uh nba summer league Cade cunningham we kind of or i i guess i did kind of was down on his game getting to the rim not drawing any any uh free throw attempts uh he went off colby <laughs> he, he hit seven threes and just he heard a lot of us talking trash and uh qu quieted up a lot of people out there in summer league he played really well yeah i mean Cade's a beast he's gonna be a beast for a long time he just his size to handle the ball the way he does, see the court the way he does, shoot the way he does. Because that's the thing. I, I think everybody kind of thought, um, you know, before his season at Oklahoma State, yeah, this guy's really a playmaker, but we don't know about his scoring and his shooting. That was kind of the narrative. I mean, that's not really a thing at this point. What's, what's the weakness in Cade Cunningham's game? I, I really don't know what it is. And whatever his weakness is, it's relative to his other skills. It's not relative to what a general weakness would be at that level. It's relative to his other skills because he's so good in so many areas. So, uh, yeah, Summer League has been fun watching him. Him going seven for ten from three the other night was a lot of fun. So, uh, Jeremy Grant, Cade Cunningham, pick and roll, final two minutes of NBA regular season games. Looking forward to it.
Can't wait. Can't wait for that. Can't wait for basketball season as well. We are 19 days away from college football season, Colby. I can almost feel it. I cannot wait. We will get back with you uh, later in the week. All right, final stat of the day. Going back to the inception of the college football playoff in 2014, all seven eventual national champs were ranked in the preseason top six. That's from Chris Felica, the Bear, on Twitter. If you're in the top six in the preseason AP poll, you can win the Natty. If you're not, have fun playing for anything else. Everybody have a great week. Go Pokes.